Are you a real estate syndicator or professional who is looking to grow your business in 2023? Are you tired of attending networking meetup after meetup and thinking that there has to be a better way? Have you ever thought about podcast guesting? According to Statista, podcasts are going to reach over 100 million listeners by 2024. Podcast guesting allows you to tap into that network of listeners. At Podcasting You, they have worked with hundreds of investors to secure guest placements on thousands of podcasts so they can raise more capital, generate brand awareness, and increase their credibility. If you're interested in learning how podcast guesting can help grow your real estate business in 2023, Go to podcastingu.com forward slash syndication to book your free discovery call. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, we've packed a number of shows together to give you some highlights. I know you're going to enjoy the show. Thank you for being with us today. Keith, welcome back. We're going to jump right into, you know, should we concentrate or diversify and what does that look like? And so Keith, welcome back. Let's jump right in. Sure. Thanks for having me back. So concentration versus diversification. Concentration is where you can focus all your time and efforts into something like business investing. And that's how you're able to quickly grow a business to get 10x returns is because you're applying more effort than just your money. And that's where what is going to yield the biggest results quickly. And so I like to be concentrated enough to win big. But as you grow and you have some successful, you're successful, it's important to start some diversification. That's what's going to allow you to prepare to absorb a big loss if you need it. One of the ways I see people lose money is they get concentrated so much in a business that something happens. That business could be a pandemic, any number of things happen, and that business shuts down. If they had all their wealth tied up in that business, that can wipe them out. I want to be diversified enough so I can come back. I've got some other assets. And I'm not just talking like with a financial advisor where you're in a bunch of stocks and bonds. But there's a whole bunch of other private assets where you can get into and earn 15, 20% plus return on your money if you know where to invest. So in other words, I want to be diversified enough to survive and concentrated enough to thrive. You want to concentrate to grow your wealth, but diversified to protect your wealth. Love that. So concentrated enough, I feel like that's so important too. Just the educational component as well in the beginning, right? And learning what you're investing in and you're putting so much time in. And you said, you know, after you reach a little success, then it's time to branch out potentially, right? So walk us through maybe how you have done that or how you advise now. How much is enough or how much you know is enough that you've won or you've had enough success that we should start thinking about diversifying? So first and foremost, I have something that most people will never have and that is enough. And so in thinking through my own journey, we were very concentrated in real estate. We did well. And then as I mentioned in our last segment, I exited most of our active investments between 2016, 2017 with a lot of our commercial real estate projects. And I was able to place funds with some great performing syndicators. I was really concentrated initially in multifamily and it went really well. I had some guys who were consistently doubling our money every two to four years. Great. But as some of that has paid off and especially in multifamily, as some of the interest rates tick up, I, as people are doubling my money or I get a big payoff. So if I invested $100,000 and now they're giving me $200,000, I'm putting $100,000 back with them again, but I'm taking that second 
second hundred thousand dollars and I'm putting it in other things. So for us, we've diversified across different startups that have done well. We bought into a gold mine, bought into um, some oil and gas deals that have just done phenomenal. There's a whole range of things, a lot of different investments, but that's kind of like the base of trying to diversify across things outside of real estate, not diversifying just for the sake of diversifying, but being across multiple assets that are also expected to do well, regardless of how the market does and that operate in different ways. So if the stock market goes up, certain investments go great. Other ones perform better when the stock market is trending downwards. So being aware of that and kind of spreading across multiple great investments has really helped us. Speak to how you educated yourself to know those things, right? You know, or even to think through that. I was thinking about how, how the listener can better understand maybe the types of investing that they should get into, or maybe their, you know, their investment strategy that they should develop. Uh, I feel like it, what begins with education, right? The concentration on learning some type of investment, but you know, where would you direct them to go? Is there a specific type of investments or, or maybe somewhere to gain some education or, around how they should create their, their strategy? So when I'm in my community, I suggest people start with their competitive advantage. So if you go to any guru, usually knows one asset class really well, and they think that asset class is the thing to always be in all the time, always in forever. I don't quite agree with that. I would rather look at what is your skills? What is your experience? What kind of funds do we have to work with? What does your network look like? All of that feeds into your competitive advantage. And then before we even look at that, I like to start with your vision. Where is it that you want to go? What do you want life to look like? Time with family, financial success, charity, whatever it is, get clear on your vision. Then let's assess what we've got to work with. And then let's pick an investment strategy that matches that. And I love to work through with people or help people guide them through the options that are available for them. And then if you've got multiple options, which ones are most in favor of this current economic environment? What is likely to do really well? And then you can pick and choose a result that feels satisfying for you and is also with your economic wins at your back to help you have success. Makes a ton of sense. Are there any other resources that you would recommend to say, hey, this is another way to quickly learn about some of the maybe the risks or how to gain the best ROI or or maybe some ways you've done that. But ultimately, uh, right now, the educational component, anything else? Let me share something really quick that I think would be really helpful. That's just good for every investor to know, just simplifying strategy, just a, a quick visual here. I have what I call double dip assets. You make money from cash flow and the equity. And if you invest in an assets, I think everybody starting off should do double dip assets. And I'll, and I'll give an ex- a few examples of these in a moment. But from a theoretical perspective, the cash flow is going to help pay for your lifestyle costs. You never have to sell a positive cash flowing asset so that that lowers your risk. But cash flow often means you've got cash that's taxed at higher ordinary rates versus equity growth is going to help you build wealth. Usually those assets are going to go up with inflation. So if you're if we're in a high inflationary environment, more likely like we are now, it's helpful to have assets that appreciate with inflation. And selling those assets, things that go long term are typically taxed at those lower capital gains rates. Double dip assets are both cash flow and equity growing. So it gives you the best of both of those, meaning you get more cash flow and often that cash flow triggers more equity. So some examples of what these might look like. Cash flow in today's world, bonds, super exciting. I know maybe loans as a lender when you're lending like hard money or many service-based businesses, they're strictly cash, often not worth much at at sale. Equity growth, non-dividend paying stocks. I can think of some reasons why you invest them. They're just not my favorite. Land is just going to sit there. Your 
personal homes, startups, all of these have a place, but they're going to be more complex and, and advanced and they're riskier because you don't have the cash flow as part of it. Double dip assets, dividend paying stocks, rental houses, apartments, businesses with strong IP systems that can operate without you. Those are all great examples of some basic strategies that can make a real difference and help lower the risk for investors. Keith, speak to you know finding an investment. We, we all want something with a high return, right? But low risk, no doubt. Speak to how you've done that or how you find those now or even you know help others to do the same. So for me, it's really about asymmetrical risk. Asymmetrical risk is high upside, low downside. Typically, people think higher risk means potential for higher returns. But to me, that also means higher risk of loss of principal. That doesn't sound fun. And so what's an example of asymmetrical risk? Real estate 2010. When you're able to buy houses for less than you can build them for, that's a great example. I can get in. There's a low interest rate financing. Fantastic deal. I do that all the way long, especially when inflation is paying down my debt. It just felt like a good deal. 2019, COVID hit and a lot of businesses were on sale. You got a lot of baby boomers who are going to be retiring over the next decade. Most of the time, they're shutting down their businesses. They're not selling them. So it's often you're able to acquire these businesses for little to nothing. Many times they just don't want to see their life's work going in the trash by shutting it down. They want their employees to be taken care of. So you can likely take it over for little money. And you might even be able to retain them as an advisor, meaning that they just don't mind having a monthly coffee with you to hear about how their business is going and giving you free advice on what what they would do. They probably want that connection, especially in retirement. And so I think buying businesses is a fantastic opportunity. I will also say oil and gas today, rehabbing oil and gas wells. There's a guy that's in our group. That's what he does. He said he was the only qualified buyer on a fantastic project in the Dallas area or in the in the state of Texas. And he's getting 40 to 60% internal rates of return for the investor. That sounds crazy high, but if you look at the market, you see... Chevron and Exxon are going more green. They're pulling out of all this, the small projects. They've got a few legacy projects, but they're not doing a bunch of new investment as the world shifts toward more green. A lot of the small operators went bankrupt as the Saudis tried to bring down oil prices. I think that was 2019-ish. And so as a result, there was little financing. There was little demand. It drove a lot of the small operators out of business. So there's this whole vacuum in there of what's possible. One last way, it's not always about finding value, but identifying how to use you can build the value. So one of my clients, May 2019, he was leaving single family or he was in single family. He's like, I really want to own apartments. And so I said, well, apartments are expensive right now. Yes, it's the best performing asset class, but how can we creatively get into apartments? And so we came up with asset conversions. So I said, let's go. I have a background in hotels. I suggest, why don't you go buy hotel projects and convert them to apartments? And so we identified what the characteristics of a good conversion would look like. He got together with his business partner and he would say he's 10x his net worth in just two and a half years. He's got three projects uh, making strong multi-million dollar returns on individually, him personally, on each and every one of those as a result. You can also do uh, like certain retail space, convert it to self-storage. You can convert office buildings to apartments. So really getting creative in how you can create value can be a huge option. And so just being aware of the strategies in time and growing into that means that you can have a bigger toolbox to allow you to artificially create value where others might not see it. Our guest 
Amy Silvis. Prior to working in multifamily real estate, she spent 13 years in pharmaceutical and biotech industries, and she was attracted to the real estate industry because of her previous health challenges and wanted to help others navigate you know, illness. And today, she's the founder and principal of Silvis Capital with apartment investments in Alabama, Indiana, Georgia, Tennessee, and Texas. And she's going to help us to think through today some beginner things that we all wish we had known right when we were first getting started in this business. Amy, welcome back to the show. Honored to do some segments with you and focus in on some of your specialties and even getting to hear your challenge that you overcame, right? It's encouraging to me and I know it is to many of the listeners as well. But we're going to jump into some things today on what's going to be helpful for the beginners, right? People that are getting started in this space, some things you have learned. And many of us uh, were told at one time that it takes uh, you know, a lot of money to get started in real estate, right? But I just wondered your take on some of these things and helping maybe the person listening who who is brand new, right? And they see real estate as maybe you did 10 years ago, right? Or, or longer, you know, maybe they just read that purple book that we talked about. Give us some insight into that. How much money does it take to get into this game? And we're going to dive into some of your tips on getting started. I love that. Yes. Yeah, so you think of large apartment buildings, we all just assume, oh, millions, right? That That's only for people uh, that are multi, multi-millionaires. But in fact, $50,000, as little as that can get you in the game to be a passive investor. So about half of our investors use self-directed IRA funds. That's another thing that that not many people realize is accessible to them. So I just love talking about it because of the light, you know, how people's faces light up when they see how accessible this space can be. Thank you for being with us every day on the Real Estate Syndication Show. I've got a gift for you, but I want to ask that you will leave a written rating and review on iTunes. If you'll send a screenshot to info at LifeBridge Capital of that review and a mailing address, I want to send you one of my recommended monthly books. Yeah, especially the self-directed stuff. I mean, a lot of people have some of that somewhere from another job or sometimes years ago, it's just sitting somewhere and they've not done anything with it. And it is, even if you don't have that much cash available, oftentimes that's just sitting somewhere and you could use it, right? To get started passively. You know, 50,000, you know, what about on the active side? You know, did it take a lot of capital to get your business, your real estate business started? I love that question too. Yes. And, you know, one of Robert Kiyosaki's favorite tropes is you know, other people's money, right? OPM. So, you know, there really is a way for you to have investors, have folks invest in your deals so you don't have to utilize a ton of your own money. So, uh, you know, it may take some coaching. It may take some mentoring uh, if you want to to learn the space, get some experience. But truly, e- even earnest money, you know, there are ways where you don't even have to put down uh, your own capital when you give an, a letter of intent to a broker. And so, yes, the, the barriers to entry are significantly lower than I think most people realize, which is exciting. Speak to how you educated yourself to gain the confidence to move forward in this space, uh, you know, whether that's through coaching, mentoring, or books, or what did that look like? Yes, I read quite a bit. Uh, first, Robert Kiyosaki's books, and then several other other folks that were in the space just to get a general idea. And then, yeah, I did enroll in a coach and mentoring program that I found to be incredibly helpful. Uh, I know some people have various opinions about that, but it's really what you make of it. I found it to be hands-on. It was great to have someone who would, again, 
been somewhere or was somewhere that I wanted to go and to be able to lean on that experience as questions came up because, you know, it's impossible to read everything from a book. So that was quite instrumental. And then the network that actually came with that coaching program was another aspect that I found to be incredibly helpful. Finding other people that were on the same journey, that had different skills, were going to the same place that I wanted to go. I'm still business partners with some of those folks today that I met with in that program. So many benefits, at least on my end. Yeah, the network is oftentimes something I feel like is so undervalued when people see the big price tag to say be a part of a mentorship program. When I signed up for a mentorship program years ago, it was $12,500. I mean, it literally, my wife and I were like, should we do this? This is more money than we've ever spent on anything. You know, like, should we do this? We were so hesitant and I'd never hired a mentor for for anything. You know, it was kind of brand new to the entrepreneurship thing and, and uh, the best money we ever spent. I mean, it was hands down. And that same mentorship now, I think is like 60 some thousand, you know, with this individual. Uh, and so, you know, hindsight, if it had been 60, then we couldn't have afforded it at that time. But I would have had, had to have found a way if I knew then what I know now, you know. But the network, so important. People don't think about that. You're getting a piece that, man, takes years to build right? That's exactly it. It is all about compressing years or months into days or weeks. That's spot on. And it's, I think it's tough to kind of visualize and see that, especially Whitney, I really related to what you said about this. I was a first time entrepreneur. So it's a different way of thinking from that maybe W2 mindset, or maybe even just from an inexperienced mindset of how can such a huge investment pay dividends? What does a network really do? How tangibly uh, could that help me in my business and enable me to to help others in turn? So I love that you brought up that point. Yeah. I mean, to the point now, I have numerous mentors for different things, right? And I'm paying a lot more than that, than even 60,000 for mentorships on an annual basis. You know, it's like, I know the value in it. And so if you had to look back, Amy, 10 years ago, what would you tell yourself that you, or you wish you had known then? If you could talk to yourself and say, hey, Amy, you know, 10 years ago, this is what you need to know or about real estate or anything, what would that be? Get a team. I really had no concept of what, yeah, what that could look like and, and maybe and how that could benefit me. And maybe other people are kind of type A-ish like I am where you know, if you're going to get something done, I can do it. I can get it going. I can, or at least I thought I could. And, you know, what really value would I have even more importantly to a team being so new? I think, you know, even if I had appreciated and understood what being on a team, how that could have benefited me, I didn't fully see how someone would want to necessarily be on my team because of my lack of experience and knowledge. So I wish I would have had uh, someone in my ear talking about limiting beliefs and helping me expand my mindset around that concept because talk about going further faster. Even with uh, the health struggles I had, I think I would have cracked in the industry significantly sooner. Who are the first people on your team? Or who would you encourage, you know, that person that's that's trying to build that team now or thinking about getting into the space? Who should, who should be the first people on there? I really think people that are established in the space, if you can find a way to add value to folks that are successful, that have complementary skills to you, everyone has something that they can bring of value, even if it's just time or something in your corporate background or another skill set, or maybe you're in a location where other you know folks are looking to to establish or invest. Yeah, but I think having, again, just re- reiterating that common theme we're talking about, Whitney, but being around folks that are already where you want to be, that have that experience is invaluable beyond words. How did you get around those people? 
It was part of the mentorship program. It forced me. It was really a nice built-in concept. And one thing that was really surprising to me uh, that was different than single family with multifamily, that it's not enough to simply have a down payment to be able to get into this space or to be able to have uh, the amount of money the bank requires for you to get the loan. You need to have the balance sheet and you need to have the experience uh, most often. So kind of built into this process was having to find a sponsor, having to find someone with that balance sheet and that experience to get the loan for my first property. So yes, it was it was definitely the network from that coaching mentoring program that forced me into networking and really was the catalyst to help me get my first deal. So why would somebody partner with you with no experience, you know, as you know, somebody that has the balance sheet and experience? And you know, I mean, I've I've lived that as well. I needed that early on, right? Now people are asking me for that. What does that look like though? Or what did it look like for you to for this person to trust you? right? In that way to say, okay, Amy, I know you haven't done a deal yet, but I'm going to partner with you and sign. I'm going to sign on the debt with you. Yes. I passively invested with them prior to uh, wanting to do a deal with them. I would love to say that that was strategic. It wasn't. I didn't think that far ahead, but it did provide the groundwork to build this great relationship where, um, you know, this partnership, this passive investing was actually a joint venture uh, where I wasn't part of the general partnership team, but I was, you know, AJV that had some roles and responsibilities and starting off small like that uh, and doing the things that I said I would do and being prompt and being professional and, you know, going above and beyond kind of my roles and the scope uh, within that team to find ways to help everyone. Again, not with the expectation of getting any anything in return, but simply living that kind of go-giver life, if you will, to quote that Bob Berg book that I love so much. You know, time uh, and building trust is is a tremendous way to, yeah, to, to have someone view you as a strategic partner moving forward. So that was very beneficial. Any other thoughts on just what it takes to become a real estate investor? You know, there, there is this concept of taking strategic risks, you know, really building a belief table, if you will, to quote my great, one of my great coaches, Trevor McGregor, of realizing the education that one has gone through or you have gone through, the the people you're surrounding yourself by, and knowing that if you're going to take a step, what feels like a step into maybe oblivion, the road is going to rise to your foot, to your feet, and you're going to be able to figure out uh, how to make something work. There is a real aspect of taking action, even though something isn't perfect, that I think we all need to come to grips with as real estate investors. And surprisingly, it'll serve you very well and be exciting, I promise. Love that. Can you give us an example of maybe how you you did that? Gosh, you know, I think buying my first property, it's easy to think of all the things that can go wrong. It was during COVID. We all remember year-on-year GDP was plummeting. Unemployment was sky high. Uh, We were hearing you know, little bits and pieces about an eviction moratorium on a national scale. Those are a lot of reasons to say, hey, you know, maybe this isn't the ideal time to do this for the very first time. But again, on the other hand, there were many things that were in my favor. A lot of people were scared to invest. You know, there were still residents that needed safe, secure, affordable housing. And from kind of a moral and spiritual standpoint, you know, there were reasons in that column for me to to take action, even though, you know, I was a bit scared. So yes, thankfully I did take that step and you know things have turned out tremendously well not only for our residents but our but for our investors but that first deal especially during such an 
uncertain time was quite frightening. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And I know Trevor uh, pretty well. Great guy. And uh, I, I often use a phrase, you know, done is better than perfect. And we want to be as, I mean, as perfect as we can be, which will never be perfect. But oftentimes, you know, we we delay because we're waiting for it to be perfect, right? And then we end up taking no action. And so I just, I think about that often. So I love that. Just a good reminder for us. What about any other steps that you would recommend to jumpstart somebody's career in real estate? I mean, 10 years or many setbacks, right, for you. Anything else that we haven't talked about that you could say, hey, this is going to help you to jumpstart your career? You know, I think aside from the, the, the educational piece, getting a coaching, you know, getting into a coaching program, if applicable, reading books, passive investing, I think is always a, a great way. And just taking action, getting experience, even if it's on that tiny scale. I think those are all really exciting ways to gain the, the knowledge and experience that will help you build that foundation to get into the industry. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 